0: welcome to into theology i am joined with professor yeah. reverend ian clary who is back wow. in the uh the motherland the yes. home of the strong and free feels after so good. are leaving <laughs> an oppressive country
1: <laughs> i was uh i was i spent the last couple weeks in quarantine but it, aside from the weather it wasn't so bad i was up in uh north of north bay uh martin river and Ontario is pretty cool. So,
0: so my question is, why didn't you go to BC or Alberta, the land of the free or Saskatchewan even? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I,
1: after all my pontificating about the need to obey the government, I figured I had to like go somewhere to like (laughs) take your baby, suffer suffer with my fellow brothers and sisters, you know, so that I could at least get some credibility. All these people are like, yeah, but
0: look at you in free Colorado, you know,
1: so I, I, I thought I had to get, I had to get some credit.
0: So. So BC for churches has no regulations, no mass, Amazing. nothing.
1: Amazing.
0: Alberta too. Uh, I think July 11 for Saskatchewan. Um, I'm not sure. I think Quebec, they have, I think higher numbers. I'm, I think they still have rules. I need to look into that though. Uh, but Ontario is interesting in that even in our full reopening or stage three, it's not fully reopened. <laughs> it's like, so what are you doing? Yeah, Yeah, it was weird
1: to, like, have to carry my mask around again with me, go into stores, put it on, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, people... People looking askance at me for having a Colorado license plate. It's like, what's that American doing up here? So of course, I was driving like a maniac on the road. Because
0: so you can do whatever you want, then.
1: Whatever I was. Like, that stupid American. I'm like, yep.
0: <laughs> I sent you uh, a link to like this company that makes fake masks. So it like it goes around your face. Face so it's technically a mask, but it's like basically completely open and breathable. <laughs> and it's meant not to work, but just to kind of like pass the. <laughs> Such a dumb thing. There you go. Wow. Yeah, but it's
1: going to be back. Sorry, I haven't been on the podcast for a while. We're, we were up, like, literally uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere. I was up on a lake. I mean, it, it sounds nice, but we just had rain the whole time. And uh, so I didn't uh, I didn't have, like, good internet access at all. And so we we had to get a hot spot in a fire hall, uh, sit in the parking lot of a fire station nearby and <laughs> get internet that was terrible. So it was good to be kind of off the grid that way, though, like... And just kind of be out in nature and you know i did some fishing with my kids and my my one daughter caught her first pike you know first fish and so we had a good time getting out in the four-wheeler when it was dry we'd get campfires and stuff so it was, it's pretty good
0: did you do catch and release or did you uh, eat it up
1: i caught a decent sized pickerel and so yeah. i kept it, and ate you kept it. it. You know, yeah i'm all into like steve Renella and meat eater and like hunting mm. and that, you know all that kind of uh, fishing and hunting kind of stuff and so i was just so happy that Literally take it out of the lake and then have it for breakfast the next day. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> like,
0: That's
1: my beard. You oh, know, course, yeah. yeah, we brought our, I brought my uh, couple of 22s up there and we're just shooting those at a little shooting area up in the woods and stuff. Right. So yeah, it's good to just, you know, get on ATVs and boats and have campouts on islands and stuff. So it was, it was just, it just felt normal. Like I just felt like oh, I'm home. You know, I, uh, the family cottage that we have up there it was the only place we could quarantine. So like I, I literally drove over the border after like a 23 hour drive from Denver and then go up there and another eight hours, you know, to it's North of North Bay. And I was just shot. But, um, yeah, that, that I've been going to that cottage since I was literally in my, my mother's womb. So, mm. you know, it just felt like I was at home and I hadn't been there in about three years. So it just felt really good to be back. So then we had, we had friends, uh, Friends of ours had come up at the end of the quarantine and, uh, you know, John, John Bell and his wife and Justin Galati, both pastor friends of mine that went to seminary with. Pastors
0: from Toronto. Yeah. So yeah, that's right.
1: So it was just, it was just good to, you know, hang out with them for a couple it was the only time we had good weather was when they were there. So I was really thankful for that dude. So.
0: It's cool. Well, that's fun. You're here. Hopefully if you come out this way, we can, like you're talking earlier, really, we might be able to do an in-person Love it. episode, which would, uh, why not? Yeah, whatever (laughs) we want. We're adults. (laughs) Are we? (laughs) Kind of. We play them uh, in the day. Right. Uh, So we're gonna do a little bit of Calvin. Nice. Uh, So I'll say this. I'll probably we'll probably release two episodes with you and another guy, and we cover the same chapters. The problem was with the other recording I did, the audio was kind of bad. So we're gonna we're gonna redo it. This chapters with you today, but I'll release the other one kind of as a bonus episode and um then we might if we have time tomorrow uh do another episode is what we talked about we'll see so yeah. as we open we're in uh, book four uh was it chapters two and three yep and i think there's a section you wanted to read in chapter two and section six yeah. involved yeah. a citation from cyprian who is in north africa in the 200s i believe
1: yeah yeah it was uh it was just great to dive back into calvin you know it's been what like three weeks since we've podcast together catch, something yeah. that. so uh just to kind of jump back into him again was so good i mean the opening of chapter two is kind of you know he's, he's going on about uh the roman catholic church the papacy as a you know how do you discern a true and false church through the papacy and uh it was, it was helpful i mean it was definitely like driven by his context but he gives some helpful discussion of like uh you know episcopal succession and uh and things like that Um, But the quote that I wanted to pull from was, yeah, it was uh, section six there. So if you're in the the Battles translation, it's on page 1047 in volume two. And uh, I'm just going to read that kind of first paragraph there uh, where he actually gives an extended quote from Cyprian's very important on the unity of the church uh, book. And uh, I I just this is a great discussion, a classic discussion of just what Catholicism is, you know, um, so here he says, uh, Cyprian, also following Paul, who he'd, uh, he's referencing, the also there was Augustine, who he quoted earlier. Uh, he says, derives the source of concord of the entire church from Christ's episcopate alone. So who's the true bishop for Calvin? It's Christ. And he says, afterward, he adds, the church is one which is spread abroad, far and wide into a multitude by an increase of fruitfulness. As there are many rays of the sun, but one light, and many branches of a tree, but one strong uh, trunk, grounded in its tenacious root. And since from one spring flow many streams, although a goodly number seem outpoured from their bounty and superabundance, still at the source, unity abides. Take a ray from the body of the sun, its unity undergoes no division. Break a branch from a tree, the severed branch cannot sprout. Cut off a stream uh, stream from its source, cut off, dries up. So also the church bathed in the light of the Lord extends over the whole earth. Yet there is one light diffused everywhere. And then Calvin says, nothing more fitting could be said to express this indivisible connection, which all members of Christ have with one another. We see how he continually calls us back to the head himself. Accordingly, Cyprian declares that heresies and schisms arise because man returned not to the source of truth. Seek not the head. Keep not the teaching of the heavenly master. So he's quoting a very famous, you know, quote there that you know, if you know anything about Cyprian, you'll know probably that quote where he talks about the church is like the sun and the rays. So you know, the source is this one, you know, sun that comes, you know, down from you know, the light comes from the sky. So all these various rays, but it's all located in the one source, like a river. But if you cut it off, everything dies. Um, and I thought, what? A, that's such a just to be reminded of that again. It's such a beautiful way to describe the church. If we are really connected to the head though we have a Protestant trajectory and we might have, you know, and Calvin will be very careful here with Roman. He allows vestiges of churches within the Roman Catholic uh, in, institutional church to have a, a true church there uh, and, and other branches. Um, but they all, if they are all really vitally united to Christ as the head, who's the true Bishop, then you have true churches. And uh, and that's a, that's a he says it's spread abroad through its fruitfulness and, uh, I just love that unity that's there, Mm. you know, and more and more I've really begun, I've come to appreciate that unity. In fact, I was talking to John Bell, who I just referenced, we were talking about a campfire. And I asked him, I said, you know, like if you look back over, say, the last 10, 15 years of, uh, of your kind of development theologically and as you've matured as a man, you know, do you find that those battles that you were like, you know, chomping at the bit to fight, you know, back then, you've just kind of mellowed out over. And like, what are the you know, where what were those things, and how have you mellowed, and what what are things that are now more important to you? And you know, I was the hot-headed Calvinist, and you know, fighting on every five-point doctrine and and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I still believe all that very strongly, but uh, I just don't get worked up like I used to about it. And the things that I really value now are things like, man, the unity of the church is so important, you know, and uh, and it's just good to see Calvin you know, quoting Cyprian, affirming all that. So.
0: Yeah, I think that's um, valuable. And one of the things that you see with Calvin here is that he kind of starts from a different direction than we do when we talk talk about unity in church. So most of us think of like local church upwards to the Catholic church. He, He ends up starting the Catholic church simply because we're all united to the one great shepherd, Christ, our head. You see this throughout Calvin. <clears throat> He'll probably get into it more in the next uh, chapters once we get more into church stuff. But it almost seems to me that his first sense is that the church is that number of people united by faith to Christ. And then underneath that main definition, you have what we might call local church categories. And so you kind of see this in Paul, too. In the book of Ephesians, at least twice, Paul says the church, comma, the body of Christ
1: Yeah.
0: And um, this isn't any any way to denigrate the local church. The point is, there's a a priority. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Calvin actually follows the Pauline priority of churchly definition.
1: Like the creed, right? I'm just pulling it up here. Uh, Where is it? Um, I, you know, believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And so even that puts an ordering on the church Catholic. And then those individual bodies that are communions of saints, you know? And so even there, you see the ordering of that. That's another thing, right? Like ecclesiologically, I've I've developed and changed over time. Just not like radically changed, but I started to see, oh, the local church is very important, but it's not the be all and end all. It's actually the church Catholic, that's the primest primary well, me, that actually gives
0: the local church its value
1: and its meaning.
0: Let me give you a, a little bit of a controversial take. Maybe not really. You, you have in the creed. You controversial? Yeah, like the credos. And uh, you confess father, son, spirit, church. And spirit and church are often kind of united. Mm-hmm. And you can actually trace this up uh, to the New Testament and all that. But the interesting part is that the Catholic Church is really part of that credo. And I kind of wonder if by our practice sometimes, like we rightly understand the congregation as, as a local instance of the Catholic body, of course, and there's governance there. But if we ignore the Catholicity, we're actually not fully affirming the creed. And right. the creed is usually understood, in my view, it's a summary of the gospel. in Kind of like 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verses one through four, whatever it is, summarize the gospel, and what's the gospel? Well, there's the gospel books are the gospel: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's why they're yeah. called the gospel. Right. And Paul the gospel summarizes the, the salient salvific points, which are death, burial, resurrection. Yeah. Um. So, so I kind of wonder, like, so you have on the one extreme the sort of landmarkism, where all there is <laughs> is like the local body. Yeah. And obviously, Baptists generally don't believe that. But sometimes in practice, we deny our faith in the Catholicity of the church, which again is just, you know, Paul says the church, comma, the body of Christ. All we're saying is because you and I unite to the same Christ, we're united despite the fact that we're talking over Zoom. Like there is kind of a unity here. Um, The the light imagery is also beautiful. It reminds me of, I was reading Chrysostom a couple of days ago, um, and one of his Cate- cate- well, the, the the end of his catechesis uh, class in Antioch, and he has this whole point that at the cross, the sixth hour, which is noon, the Son of Righteousness, is Christ, on the top of the cross, but actually during six to nine, the darkness disappears, so the the lights peel away from it, but wow. he's still the Son of he's still the Son of Righteousness that's sort of infusing all things, and so that in our baptism, we die with him and become enlightened. Now, wow. enlightenment is you know, if, uh, Hebrews 6, 4, alignments associated with baptism. Yep. And then enlightenment you actually see in the Roman community of Justin Martyr in the 100s, baptism is called enlightenment and so on. Um, anyways, sorry, that's, that's cool. just kind of a... Oh, side wow. Side.
1: I mean, it's, you know, thinking even uh, what you were saying a second ago reminds me of, of even the reference, he kind of makes a summary reference to Augustine at the top of 1047, you know, where he's talking about the what 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 is the distinction and, and then yet the relationship between uh, a schismatic and a heretic and he says he says hence between heretics and schismatics augustine's augustine makes this sort of distinction heretics corrupt corrupt the sincerity of the faith with false dogmas but schismatics while sometimes even of the same faith break the bond of fellowship you know mm-hmm. and uh and so there there's that therein is that unity that like even though we can actually have the the same theological perspective, um, you can have a real a real break in that that genuine fellowship that should be there because of somebody who, who, who uh, um, you know engages in, in schism. And it, it's amazing to see that the two are so intimately tied together in the history of the church. And we think as long as I've got good doctrine, I'm okay. It's not. It, it's no. as it's as bad to be a schismatic as it is to be a Pelagian or an Aryan, according to the, 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 the church.
0: Paul talks about building up the body of Christ in Ephesians 4.12. And there's, there's an until. Until we all attain to the unity yeah. of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature right. yeah. uh, manhood and the, and the fullness of Christ. Point is, the fullness of Christ, all that, it involves knowledge and unity. Yep. If you have knowledge without unity or unity without knowledge, you have not perfected the new humanity in Christ. Amazing. And uh, if we look back uh, one chapter in Calvin's Institutes, he re- and at the beginning of chapter two, which we're in, he emphasizes that from our point of view, we have to trust the visible tokens of faith, namely word and sacrament or mm-hmm. belief in God's mercy. Right. And we can't then kind of uncover like behind these tokens and judge people more scrupulously than scripture does. Yeah. And so Calvin for all of his high theology is probably more open than we might be in terms of accepting people on the basis of the visible tokens of faith, namely yeah. the very basic belief in Christ. Yeah. And in fact, uh, in chapter one, this is like a month ago of memory, right? <laughs> he quotes Philippians and, um, in Philippians, Paul, what does Paul say again? He says like, it's like this idea of have this mind in you, but then it says something to the effect of, but like be with one another until you all come to the same mind. Mm -hmm. And the point is like, you're kind of expected to not fully be one-to-one on everything, but you have to kind of work with one another until it happens. And Ephesians is kind of saying the same idea too. And so as you noted, most of us think, as long as I'm not a heretic, by which we typically mean, I don't deny the the Trinity, et cetera. Then I'm okay. But but if you're schismatic, it's virtually the same thing. Yeah. And I would I would suggest that some of us are probably in like schismatic adjacent circles.
1: <laughs> I, I was actually it's funny. I was just thinking that the weird thing is is that at least, you know, without getting into the weeds on any of this or even really talking about it, but it's funny how right now in our day there are people who are actually schismatic who think they're preserving the purity of the church yet they're schismatic and siding with people who the early church fathers would actually recognize as Trinitarian heretics. Oh. Super weird. They think that they're actually being faithful. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. On both scores, uh, on heresy and schism, you failed gloriously. <laughs> I, but it's I interesting actually... when you're saying about like the kind of like, you know, not getting, working towards this mind, you know, and like how that really takes a humility. Because on 1054, near the top, that kind of first full paragraph, he speaks about this need to obey the word. And then sometimes it's going to be preached with people that are good preachers and have this understanding and this good theology. And then he's like, there's others that are not. And we still have to have a humble submission to that preaching, even if they're not as good as what we perceive ourselves to be. He says, he says again, this is the best and most useful exercise in humility when he accustoms us, that is God accustoms us to obey his word, even though it be preached through men like us and sometimes even by those of lower worth than we, if he spoke from heaven it would not be surprising it i won't go into all that then he says but when a puny man rises from the dust speaks in god's name at this point we best evidence our piety and obedience to god if we show ourselves teachable towards his minister although he excels us in nothing you know and that really then you're like "Whoa, that really is that working together it's like you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be hard for like, you know, here's you and I, we have PhDs and we study theology, we write this stuff and we're, and then you have like a pastor who's trying to pastor a guy like us, you know, and if, and if, if he's not at the same maybe level of knowledge or interested in the same things we are, that's going to, that's going to be hard. And we have a responsibility to submit to that preaching, you know, um, because, because of all that, to get that working together.
0: Well, so the, the underlying question is, is, is the Sunday service about content delivery or right. something else? And I think I saw this, uh, I was looking on some sort of Reddit forum Christianity and someone was asking a question like, I can't go to a church. Cause whenever I go, I don't learn anything new from the pastor. And you're like, Oh, so this person thinks I know it all. Pro- probably he, he doesn't, but even if he did, the, the question is, he's going to a church to, to learn content Yep. and looks it's transactional it's transactional. Look, you look at, and well, church history in particular, but like the actual learning of the body of theology and scripture, it wasn't necessarily Sunday, although Sunday was part of it. Of course it was all the week. Right. But I mean, Sunday is actually a worship service. (laughs) Meaning if you went and learned nothing of nothing new, although you still will learn something, uh, you still worship by hearing the word, by, by responding in prayer, by partaking of the Eucharist. By participating in baptism, meaning you're yeah, the litur- there with the... Yeah, the liturgy. The liturgy. And now, now again, that goes back to like... I, some churches, I do think, model themselves after content delivery. And so that is a bit of a problem. But none of the historic churches really do. No. Any, any Lutheran, Anglican, often Presbyterian churches, they get word and sacrament are these the important things.
1: Yeah. Which Calvin says, as long as you... He says, what are the two basic qualifications? Uh, Let me see right here on 1059, right at the top. uh, He said, or starting, I guess, at the bottom of of 1058, he says, from these and similar passages, which frequently occur, we may, may infer that in the office of the pastors, also there are these two particular functions to proclaim the gospel and to administer the sacraments.
0: Yeah. Which are like, basically the, the, so for, to be a visible church, those are the visible tokens to be yep. a visible Christian, the visible tokens are, you believe in God's mercy and so on, and that God exists. And he's, and so they're both actually quite simple. So this is partly why Calvin will accept a Roman Catholic baptism, yep. um, as long as it's valid. So so one of the things is, um, obviously and he will for, say- and, and I think if I
1: recall correctly, what makes it valid for him is that it's a Trinitarian baptism, right? It's a
0: Trinitarian baptism, yeah. And so, cause he accepts the basic tokens of faith because God delivered them that way. And his scruples, Don't like, he doesn't allow his scruples to allow him to go beyond what most of us do today is we're we're too scrupulous, and so we're schismatic because you say, Oh, well, they don't have this right worship music, or they're too woke or not woke, or all these different categories we have. And then, as you noted, we tolerate theologians, or yeah, theologians in particular who affirm that the son is eternally subordinate to the father, which is ridiculous. Now, to clarify. If you call yourself a theologian now, if you're a pastor and you read it in a book or you're a new t- or whatever it is, it's different categories. But when someone claims to be a theologian, writes books on these things. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I'm going to align with that guy because his politics fit me. Yeah. Well, this is like disassociated from 1800 years of Christianity. Like it is. It's a new kind of mode of thinking about the importance and primacy of theology. So it's, it's completely unacceptable. To-
1: It goes back to the you know like even the debates in the english reformation and just after like with richard hooker like i you know because i always heard richard hooker oh he's all awful you know this hank can whatever he's the via media and blah 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 and uh it's like when you start to like kind of study him you realize oh my goodness he's got tons of wisdom and he's going against what he calls the what are called the precisionists these kind of like really strong presbyterians uh that are looking for all of that really kind of like nitty nitpicky kind of very very rigid sort of uh, ways and and you suddenly see oh calvin and hooker actually have a lot in common even though the presbyterians would really look to calvin uh, and, and would find a lot obviously in him even when you look at the breakdown of how he understands the office of the elder and stuff that's in this reading but you know like what where is the irenicism We've, we've, we've lost it today in the debates that are going on today you know
0: yeah I mean, there's a lot of historical factors that, that go into the whys of all that and sinful factors too but it is really interesting that like so often we um like who are maybe more conservative criticize those we perceive as being more progressive and yet uh, and then we say well maybe our number our numbers are growing there's are shrinking whatever argument we use maybe it's true i don't know although
1: i was it on your facebook
0: yeah you well, well there's more to it if you look into the data, but like, I actually, I don't want to get into it here, but I, I do think there's evangelicalism's about to hit a, a roadblock and we'll see what happens because yeah. of various things.
1: Anyway, I like, should just say, just for somebody who's curious to what I was talking about, you had posted on Facebook, yeah. some stats are actually showing that like white progressive numbers were growing. Was it just in the States?
0: Yeah, it was and... the US. So, so people who identify as white mainline Protestants their numbers are increasing and those who identify as white evangelical Protestants their numbers are decreasing part of the problem was is that it's it's basically that the', the 50,000 sur- people surveyed and it was up to them to define themselves on the basis of like being born again or whatever so it was a little bit goofy so it's one of those things where it's useful but you you kind of have to discern the data a little bit more than just the the quote the pull quotes Sure. But it is an interesting point, and I think there's anecdotal truth, and there's some survey truth, and there's going to be more data coming out anyways. But but the point of all that is, if we look at our own groups, we're virtually <laughs> – Listen, just for the record, I'm not a Mormon, and I don't <laughs> have like 30 kids
1: with 10 wives. <laughs> a lot of – Oh, yeah. uh,
0: okay. Is your last name, name Duggar? <laughs> <laughs> I – okay so I'll try to say what I'm going to say but the point of that's funny is that like it's our groups that have like look at the Presbyterian churches in North America they split like every five years right <laughs> like a Baptist we're shrinking by splitting like in yeah. huge chunks and I'm yeah. kind of thinking in North America that none of us really have bragging rights in terms of success And then you're like, well we've kept pure theology and it's like yeah I-, I grant that a lot of progressive churches, on questions of sexuality have transgressed borders but in the 20th century the evangelicals transgressed borders on trinity yeah yeah frequently yeah and uh, you know a lot of it's soft a lot of it's just you, you know a pastor read a book or another kind of scholar read a book and it's not their field and it's it's kind of forgivable but our main theologians,
1: with, a theologian who's had significant critical pushback from experts in the field and then they double down on it instead of actually saying, oh, wait a second, maybe I, maybe that book I wrote a couple of years yeah. ago is wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it, so I don't know. I think there's going to be a, there's going to be a comeuppance and the, the anti-Catholicity movement, I think, has led to a lack of accountability. No. And there's small wonder why we have so much. Well, in part, this contributes, I think, to like ongoing abuse that's never really taken care of. In no, there's let's talk about really define it all, but
1: well, let's talk quickly about uh, how he. So he he gives his kind of classic on ten fifty six the bottom, the five offices that he sees in the church. You know, like we as good Baptists would say, oh, there's the two. Um, but he, he recognizes five though. He says the two we would normally think of are the ones that are kind of abiding. There's other, the other three are temporary. They can kind of crop up here and there. Like I, it was interesting to see that, uh, the apostle, the office
0: of apostle can kind of still abide to a degree like the dude abides. You need a Martin um, Luther from time to time.
1: It was funny that he, it was, it was great to see, you know, again, that affection that he has for, had for Luther, you know, it's like. <laughs> Who Luther, does not
0: give it back to him. No, he doesn't. <laughs> But,
1: uh, you know, give, gives him the, the title of apostle, you know, which was really cool at the bottom there. And it's noted in that footnote on 1057. Yeah. But, you know, there's the five offices he lists there on 1056 under number four, right? You've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, the last two are the ordinary office. And uh, and then he says that uh, two of those are can be conflated so that you really have four and then what was it he did he kind of said that the the teacher relate the teacher today relates to the prophet whereas um teachers as prophets and and uh pastors as apostles right so there's this kind of correspondence that he he notes there it's funny i mean again you and i having phds in, in theology like as doctors of the church uh, we would actually be considered office bearers uh, right. according to him. I mean, I, am an ordained minister anyway, but I yeah. uh, just, you know, I thought that was kind of neat. Um, Scott Manich in his book uh, on Calvin's company of pastors goes through all this really Busy. great. Really yeah.
0: interesting. Yeah. Well, and in and, and the next chapter too, he gets a little bit more uh, next chapter. I think maybe chapter four actually gets into this more uh, as he surveys the, the ancient church that he contrasts yeah. with the Roman church in, I believe chapter five. It's really interesting. Calvin's almost entirely affirming of the first 600 years of church history in terms of their formal, not, not saying everything's perfect, but their formal. And he's like, look, they try to just follow the Bible. When problems come up, they have to adapt. And he's, he's kind of okay with it. Like he has bits of criticism. But his real criticism is that the Roman church uh, actually fell away from that early purity yeah. of church. We'll get there. But he he basically demarcates the time of Gregory the Great around 600 as the, the midpoint between the medieval corruption and the uh, early church purity. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating kind of point of view. So anyways, we'll, we'll get there. Now, before yeah. Before we move on, I did want to note though, because we kind of skipped over it. Um, Calvin says there are, and we mentioned a little bit, but Calvin says there's vestiges of the true church in Rome. And the reason right. why is, is important. He goes back to, the, to Israel's covenant. And he says, look, the covenant to Israel is inviolable. So mm. in the time of Jeroboam, God's, there was no no to Israel from God. The covenant's still valid. Nope. Likewise, I guess the new covenant to the Roman Catholic church and his analogy is still valid for them. It is still true. The promise of God is true. So there's of course going to be vestiges and true churches within yep. the churches of Rome because yep. of the covenant. Um, I just think yourself, that's sometimes I,
1: I'll, I'll wrestle through questions of like, you know, what do I do with like some of my favorite theologians today? Like a, a Matthew Levering, you know, or yeah. Thomas Wynandy, or somebody really good theologians. I mean, I get, you know, I get better stuff on the doctrine of God from them than I do these evangelicals that we were just kind of referencing, you know, and how, how do you square that? Oh, because they're part of that the vestige, you know, at least uh, that's how right. Calvin would understand it,
0: you know. Those who have not bowed in need of bail. I think Calvin gives you the, sin. I mean, so Cal, so the one, the goodness of Calvin is the tokens of faith and that availability. The negative is because he's in such like, a violent heightened tension with Rome. Sure. That's, that's at some points you're like, all right.
1: Well, I mean, slightly get, over the top. You get the classic, the Pope is the Antichrist yeah. uh, in, in that opening uh, part right. of that read too, you know?
0: But I, I still think he's right. I, in other words, I think he's formally correct, but some of his language are like, in the 20th century, it's such a different circumstance that we, we want to kind of think through how we...
1: Although it, it uh, is isn't, it isn't, because I mean, in one sense like um you know i just picked up this book by frederick martell i don't know if you've seen it it's called in the in the closet with the, with the vatican mm. and like this guy's basic argument it's a new york times bestseller translated into 30 languages the research is just very rigorous and like the basic argument is the papacy is just like one massive gay club <laughs> you know and you're like whoa you know and it's, yeah. it's not like a hit piece it's like the guy has no I- problems with like gay marriage or any of that stuff he's just saying look at all these hypocrites and it's a shocking book right and it's like you take all the um, you know all all the stuff that we would consider to be kind of like orthodox catholic the Roman Catholic theology and then underlying it all has gone you know you you go down the line with all kinds of terrible stuff I think you have to distinguish
0: this I guess the curia that this sort of yeah because you're gonna you're also going to have like this missionary pastor in the middle of nowhere with like 50 people who you know so sure. I, I don't know enough details I guess my my only point is I agree with you I think we need to be a little bit open to saying there are some true churches and sure. and I think that's what that's why we're allowed to read uh some of these maybe Catholic writers and you're like oh there's something there that you can, sure. you can feel like think of, and when I read uh, Jean Danielou or someone yeah. like that it's like yeah. no I'm gonna see you in heaven
1: yeah yeah you you can't uh, help it, you know, when you're yeah preaching. there's, there's
0: wow. I can. It's it's in it's in your blood, like it's in your pen. It's but, yeah. but the problem is, as Calvin will get there, uh, I, I think it's in this chapter. But it says by memory at this point. The Roman Church is like a, a house who's been demolished, but the foundation yes, is. is there. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to have a few people who can. The, survive foundation, the foundation and foundation. the rubble
1: is there. The rubble. is rubble there. is there. You can, you can use to rebuild on that
0: foundation, but but you know when the weather and the elements come, a lot of people are going to get. I'm going to get washed away, and so. I mean, I would never recommend someone join a Roman church, no. but I'm merely saying that I think someone can be formally Roman and still say, because, uh, you know, there's a sermon I listened to recently by Alistair Begg. It's really helpful. And in particular, he has this clip where it's, it's, a uh, um, the thief on the cross and the thief on the cross, he gets to the pearly gates. He's asked like, why are you here? And he's like, I don't know. They ask him questions of like, do you know, justification by faith. It's like, never heard of that. Yeah. Do You know, all, all this kind of high theology. And they're like all plummets. And his answer is basically the guy on the cross said I could come. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved You in your household. Yep. And so I think, again, Calvin to the visible tokens of faith. We need to be careful that we don't make the promise of salvation narrower than Christ. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that orthodoxy goes right. out the window. Right. Uh, there's, well, there's, there's, there's Calvin even in.
1: says, you know, when it comes to the the office of the pastor, what are the things that are required for a pastor? One of them is, is learning. Like he has to be trained. And I thought, oh, here's a real kind of like good jumping off point in calvin for the importance of seminaries you know and those kinds of things. you have to have right teaching you have to know your theology that's that's hebrews right like don't be stuck on the milk here go up and eat you know thick steaks and drink good stout
0: you know not if you're a baptist you're not allowed to drink alcohol that's one of the baptist cardinal rules
1: i guess so well, yeah, I learning, see- yeah, he says it. it's, it's it's a it's the relationship he draws on 1063 uh, between uh, learning and piety. Hmm. Yeah, you, you have to have a deep spirituality, and you have to have good
0: good theology. Well, why else would this this book exist? You know, right. Yeah, exactly. That's
1: just, that's the whole reason for the institutes in the first place is to train ministers.
0: Right. And this criticism is the visible form of the Catholic Church that it's been corrupted. Yeah. it actually makes it once you get to chapter four and five it makes better sense because he explains how it's been corrupted Because so chapter four he builds up how the church works the first five or six hundred years yeah. and shows that it's it's basically living according to scripture there's adaptations but Calvin's yeah. okay with that because they're not necessarily against scripture but then when he goes to the roman the criticism you're like oh i i can kind of see where he's coming from oh for sure there, there's yeah. no more election uh, of offices there's benefits Benefices, wait, whatever it is, yeah. you pay people who are not actually clerics. Right. Like, Kelvin himself, when he was a, a boy, was paid by the church uh, in Noyon, France. Uh, to I don't know, it wasn't even at his church, he was just paid as, as a kind of a, a non clergy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know,
1: yeah, that's right, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, um, so like, you have this weird system of things going on, and of course, all the other corruptions we know about, like, uh. Uh, the idolatry and uh, so on. So, anyways, it, it's it's an interesting critique. It's going to get really good when we get there, and perhaps we'll do it tomorrow. If, if Ian, if you let me you
1: say start. one thing before you go, oh, go sorry before we go, I should say the last little bit. Um, you know, it's say ten. Well, really, the whole thing from when he gives us the five the five offices as a breakdown, all the way to the end of this chapter. Honestly, if somebody's like, if you're a pastor listening to this, and you're like, "Oh, what would be a good thing to give to somebody in my church who wants to go into ministry?" or if you are thinking about going into ministry and you're like, well, "What, what is, what is the, what are the offices look like, and what is calling, what is ordination?" Give them that section out of the Institutes that we mm. read. When he gets into like, who is it that gets to choose your pastor? Like the, the importance of like voting from the congregation. Uh, is what is, hand even. Yeah, Ray, the the laying on of hands in the
0: right uh, in the right. So he means like voting with your hands. He has this whole. thing. Oh yeah, about. he does.
1: Yeah, he's at the voting. He actually links it back to the ancient Greek and, and Roman legal system. It's interesting to see that footnote where he talked where you get the word addictus from. Uh, where you, oh, addictus was actually a word for somebody who's kind of an indentured servant who had to had had been tied to a particular land. Hmm. Uh, he had to work to pay it off. So you know, if you're addicted to your cell phones because you're tied to it. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool um but it, it was just like it's super helpful just to see um you know that that very kind of pastoral breakdown of these offices what is a deacon the role of the deacon is to you know give care for the poor collect alms and and things like that and uh um yeah i'd i'd, re- I'd definitely recommend that to, to seminary students to read if they're going into ministry
0: well yeah that's right i mean in Calvin's geneva uh they had a diaconate and I think actually the city ran the diaconate in a sense and just, distributed uh, the food to the poor and all that kind of stuff. Because basically the idea is if you just have like a unorganized people, the, the money won't be used well. So Calvin was a socialist. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Ooh. anyways, it is interesting. Uh, us good. Let's end here. I'm excited for the yep. next couple of chapters. If we, if we can find a moment tomorrow, we can release a bonus or second episode. Yeah. So yeah, thanks great. Ian. Welcome back to Canada.